Uh, today, as I said at the beginning of Mass, uh, we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday. Um, Divine Mercy Sunday uh, is something that was, it was instituted uh, by John Paul II in around year 2000. Uh, so it's 23 years, I think, 23 years, 2023, um, since we've been celebrating this, this feast uh, on the second Sunday of Easter. Um, it, it, just a little history. Uh, it, it, this comes from uh, the, the, the Diary of St. Faustina. Um, if you haven't read it, uh, it is a, an absolutely beautiful, just mystical experience. Of, it documents Jesus appearing to St. Faustina uh, as, she was in a con, as, as she was going through her conversion and the convent and everything else in her life. Uh, just a lot of beautiful little nuggets of, of, of just our faith and our tradition. One of the things, though, that, that came from it was, number one, Jesus wanted to consecrate a day in honor of his divine mercy, which is today. The second is, uh, is the image of the divine mercy. Now, many of us probably have seen it. Uh, many of us probably know it. Uh, if you have never seen it and you want to see it, just go into our Adoration Chapel. We have a massive image of it. Uh, absolutely beautiful. But one of the things, you'll, just to describe it if you've never seen it before, um, it's an image that you see Jesus standing. Uh, he's usually pointing at his heart uh, and revealing his heart. Uh, and the heart, the image of the heart, uh, there's, there's a couple of elements about it. Number one, it's usually on fire. Um, number two, it's usually pierced. And number three, there's usually these two lines or these two uh, rays of light that are coming from it in the image of the divine mercy. One is a white light. One is a red light. The white light represents our baptism. Uh, the red light represents the Eucharist, right? White being the new life we receive and red being the sacrifice in the Eucharist. And then under Jesus' feet, there's always the line that, that accompanies this image of Jesus, I trust in you. Elements in, in just a way in which Jesus appeared to St. Faustina. Now, it's a beautiful image and, and the Divine Mercy Chaplet and all these things have kind of developed over the years and, and from this diary. But I think for us, if we, if we, if we want to dive into that image, if we want to dive into Jesus' divine mercy for a moment, we actually have some, there's some Old Testament background um, or, or some first century background to this image that I think would be helpful for us to kind of dive into and to understand. And, and, and honestly, I think when we get the full context, when we get the full story, what actually happens is that now it becomes a little bit more personal, this, this feast. So we're going to do, do a little bit of a, of a history lesson, of a background of, of exactly where this developed from. So do me a favor, don't let your eyes glaze over for me, all right? I know it's 9 o'clock, I know it's late, but just do, stay with me, because I, I, I think the payoff is going to be worth it, all right? And if it's not, then pray for me, right? <laughs> so the, the, the image of the divine mercy, right, it comes from uh, this, this idea of blood and water, these two rays of light, right, the blood and water, uh, coming out of Jesus' heart, it really comes from John's Gospel. And on, on, on Good Friday, this is what we read from John's Gospel. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, so we're at, we're at Calvary, right? We're we, we at the crucifixion. Jesus has died. There are two other criminals that are with him, right? They've been crucified. Now, if you don't know crucifixion, the, the way somebody would die from crucifixion was not loss of blood, was not suffering. It was they, they would suffocate, Right? So nail hands, nail feet, it's really hard to support yourself. So at a certain point, they would get tired and they would just fall. And when their hands were held up, you can't breathe, right? So what, what would happen is, is if somebody was on the cross too long, the Romans, they basically said, we're going to speed up this process, we're going to break their legs. So they kneecap them, 
they can't support themselves, they fall, they have, that, that's how they, they die, right? So that's the image of, of crucifixion. There you go. So what, what happens, though, is, is that Jesus has already died, right? We, we know all the suffering, all the stuff he goes through, Jesus has already died. So it says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Now, the gospel was written by John. John is at Calvary. After John sees this, John then reports this in his gospel, but then continues to say, An eyewitness has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth, so that you may come to believe. So what John is saying is that this blood and water flowing out the side of Christ, there's something important about it to the point that he, may, he wants to make a note and say, I promise you, I swear on my life, I saw it. This actually happened. So if that's the case, what's the significance of blood and water flowing out the side of Jesus? Well, a little context for us. At this time, in the temple... At this time, in Jerusalem, the temple was the center of, of all of Jewish tradition, of all of Jewish worship. So what was going on is, at this time, in Jerusalem, there was the Passover feast. And as the Passover feast is going on, it has two parts. There's one part called the Seder meal, and that happens at home. That's the second part. But Jesus at the Last Supper was celebrating a Seder meal. That's, at the, that, that, that's happening at home. They eat, they pray, they drink some wine, they eat some bread, they eat the lamb, they do all these things. But before the Seder meal, there's the sacrifice of the lamb that has to take place in the temple. A lamb has to be procured. A lamb has to be sacrificed. It has to be prepped. And then it's brought home to be roasted and eaten. So it's the sacrifice that's taking place. The sacrifice goes all the way back to whenever the Egyptians were enslaving the Israelites, right? And there was the Passover. They had, this, they had the lamb, they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the Spirit of God goes over, passes over these houses, that's how people are spared, right? So what happens is they would bring a lamb into the temple, so imagine that we're in the temple, they would bring a lamb into the temple. It would be a perfect lamb, a young lamb, a spotless lamb with no problem. It can't be the Paul Bet one. It can't be the little crippled one, right? It's one that they bring in. It's in perfect, good, perfectly good, healthy condition. They would bring the lamb in. And what would happen is, is they would bring the lamb to the base of the sanctuary. Well, what would, there would be a priest dressed in garments, kind of like this, right? Jewish priest that were there, the Levites, they were there and they were waiting. And what they would do is, is give, bear with me for the gore, they would take a knife and they would slit the lamb's throat. And that lamb would bleed out. And they would catch the blood of the lamb and they would pour the blood of the lamb on the altar as a sacrifice. Now, if you've ever cleaned an animal after hunting, you know that whenever you start to clean the animal, there's a lot of blood. If you ever killed a deer, there's a lot of blood. A little lamb has a lot of blood. And whenever they do a kosher kill, that blood just pours. Now there's a, there's a first century source that says that during the Passover, on average, they could kill as many as half a million lambs in the temple in a day. Now they had this down like a factory. 
And these lambs would come in, they would be slaughtered, and this blood is pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. That's a lot of blood. Well, what would happen? It would drain out under the altar. There was a drain. That drain would meet with a natural spring that was underneath the temple called the Kidron Spring. It would go out into the Kidron Valley. So coming out the side of the temple, what would you see? Gallons upon gallons of blood and gallons upon gallons of water pouring out the side of the temple. Now why was the Passover taking place? The Passover was taking place to remember the time that, a, that the sacrifice was being offered so that the people, the Israelites, the chosen people of God, would no longer be enslaved. They would be free. They would no longer, they would no longer be oppressed. That they would have the hope of freedom given to them. So now let's go back to Calvary. And as we're back at Calvary, and John is standing at the, base of, at the base of the cross, and Mary's with him under his arm because Jesus had just given Mary to John, right? And, and the soldier comes with the lance, and he goes to Jesus, and he drives the lance into his, into his heart, and blood and water flow out. John sees an image that has been singed into his mind all his life. Blood and water pouring out the side of the temple, which signify the Passover, which signify freedom, which signifies a, 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 level, of, a, a level of peace that God has come to establish for His chosen people. And he sees that a new lamb has been sacrificed and blood and water is pouring out so that His people can be free. Why did Jesus come? Like, like why on earth did Jesus come? To communicate the mercy of God. Period. That's it. We hear we hear in the exalted when we sang it on on when I I attempted to sing on uh, on at the Easter vigil that the long beautiful hymn right that I hopefully wasn't too not beautiful when I was singing it um, but there's a there's a line in it that says oh happy fault of Adam that gave us such a savior why did Jesus come to save his people his chosen people from sin to free His chosen people from the oppression not of a kingdom, not of an earthly people, not of an earthly nation, but of sin and of death. So why did Jesus come? For the forgiveness of sins. To communicate God's mercy. Today, like if we, if we think about it, even if you come to confession, the last time you've come to confession, that the words that, so when you come to confession, right, 
Bless me, Father, it's been so long since my last confession. These are my sins. You give your sins great. The priest says something that's the most impactful and most beautiful images you ever heard in your entire life, especially if you come to confession with me, I'm just saying. Um, and then at the end of that, you hear, a, you, hear a, a, you get a penance. And after your penance, you say your act of contrition. And after the act of contrition, these are the words. These are the words of absolution. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son. So God, the Father of mercy, through the Paschal mystery, has reconciled the world to himself and poured out the Holy Spirit. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Everything that has to do with, the, has to do with Jesus, everything from the Annunciation, where, where we find out that Mary's going to have baby Jesus, right? All the way to the Ascension and to the Pentecost. Everything that happens in the New Testament, everything that happens in the Gospels is meant to, for one reason, for the forgiveness of sins. To communicate God's divine mercy to you and to me that we would not be enslaved to sin. And we would have the hope of freedom. The hard part, though, is for us to receive that gift. The hard part, oftentimes, is for us to feel worthy of that gift. Years ago, um, I was in the seminary, a couple of years into the seminary, um, I, I had finishing up my summer assignment, getting ready to go back to school. And I was talking to my vocations director, and we were going over a couple of different things. And I just told him, I said, like, there's some stuff during the summer that just had been coming up in prayer. And it was like, it was old stuff, right? Old relationships and old conversations and old things and old sin and old struggles that I had that just like, they just kept coming up. And I'm like, I, I just don't know what to do. So my vocations director told me, he said, call this new priest that's just ordained, really good guy, really holy guy, really crazy guy. His name was Mitch Seymour. Got in touch with him, right? Went stay with Father Mitch for a night, and we did like a little one-on-one retreat. And as we're going through, I went to confession and went through all these different things, and it was, it was beautiful, and I, like, I just felt like God was really lifting these things up and wanting, to pray, wanting me to pray with him and all these things. And I didn't know what to do, and I was confused, and I'm telling this to Father Mitch, and I remember I was sitting down in direction with him one day, and we were talking about this, and I told him, I said, look, I, I just don't know what else to do. And he told me, he said, it's easy. He said, just go to the cross. I said, what? He says, just go to the cross. Like, like the cross is where God's mercy is communicated. It's not scary. Just go sit at the foot of the cross. Like in prayer, he said, pick one. Pick, pick one of, the, one of the, the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. Just build the image in your mind. Use your imagination, right? Like just put yourself at the cross. And just bring those things to the Lord. Because honestly, the places that we feel most vulnerable, that, that's why Jesus came. The places that we feel most afraid, that, that's why Jesus came. The sin that we struggle the most with, that, that's why Jesus came. Places that we're most sensitive and hurt, you guessed it, <laughs> that's why he came. 
Tonight, tonight as we come to Mass, I'm going to share the same advice that, that Father Mitch did to me years ago. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how spring break was for you. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if the, the, last, couple of, the last week has been, has been real easy and fun and just like full of joy and you've been singing Alleluia and praying the Psalms like, uh, on the tip of your tongue all day. That's awesome if you have. Great. Been living in Easter joy. I don't know about you. I have not <laughs> um, because it's just been busy and crazy and it feels like Easter was about three months ago. But if, if you, whatever you're bringing, where, wherever you are, whatever wells up in your heart as you're hearing these things, like, like just go to the cross. That's where our salvation was won. Like, that's where God's mercy is proven. You know, every Mass, when we come to Mass, we celebrate the entirety of the Paschal Mystery. Good Friday, uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and, and Easter Sunday are all present in every Mass. We celebrate the Last Supper. We make it present again. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, right? Like the, the sacrifice of the, of the Lamb that made present again. We receive the grace of the Holy Spirit and we're sent out. Resurrected anew. Every Mass. Tonight as we come to this Mass, so wherever your heart is, whatever, whatever's welling up in you, if it's joy, if it's sorrow, if it's great, if it's, if it's rough, just bring it to the cross. That's where the Lord frees us. From sin, from doubt, from death, from hurt. That's where He meets us. Where He was most vulnerable. He was most broken where he was pierced. May tonight as we come to this Mass that, that we allow the Lord in his vulnerability to meet us in ours. As we just bring our stuff, ourselves, to be with him at the cross.